Den Talks podcast is powered by denanywhere.com. You guys go to denanywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived, so if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are. Go to denanywhere.com. Hey guys, welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, the founder of Den Meditation and your host. I am here with Chris Pan today. This is a long time coming. Chris and I have known each other for a while. He walked in to Den Meditation basically the first week that it opened and I just loved him instantly. He is the founder and the CEO of My Intent. I'm sure you all know it. If you don't, look it up. It's these amazing bracelets where you put in one word onto your bracelet and it's just the energy and it's a reminder of your intention. It has spread so incredibly. He is so successful and now he does so much amazing good with his success, which I love. He's got an incredible story, how he's really found his purpose, how he realized what he needed to do. He used to work at Facebook. He actually taught Mark Zuckerberg Chinese. I mean, he's done incredible things, but what an incredible story and a reminder for all of us that you can be successful with purpose as well. And I love it. He has amazing stories to tell. I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, I'm really proud of him and proud of all he's done and accomplished. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Chris. Hi. It's been a while. I know. I'm so excited. It's been a few years. Been, well, we ran into each other at Shaman Durek's book launch. Yeah. But in, in terms of that, first, I still remember that first um, event when you launched, when you opened. I know, and you guys were part of it. And then you, you were coming. I know, it's funny. I was actually thinking about that today, how far you've come. I mean, you were already doing so great back then, but you've really evolved as a company and as a person, I feel like, since 2016. 2016 seems like it was, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, it's kind of a time of you kind of reassessing what you wanted my intent to be. Yeah. Yeah. We had just had a big first year. So it was then it's like, where do we go from here? But it's always like that. It's always like, where do we go from here? You know, there's always growth. So there's always opportunity. I know. So talk about, I'm, I've been so excited to have you on. I mean, A, I always enjoy talking to you um, because you've just, you really are one of those people who's shown how you can create a business through purpose and let's talk about that in general. We'll go back to kind of how it started and all that stuff in a second, but talk about just the idea of the idea of purpose and impact driving the idea behind the business. I started this um, because I had a magical time at a retreat called the Hoffman Process. It was seven days and $5,000 up in Napa. And I wanted people to have that experience who don't necessarily have the money um, or the time. So I wanted to find a way to offer a bite-sized version of that magic. And uh, it turned out that through helping people find their word is a nice first step. And I guess all personal growth work starts with um, Mm self-awareness. The idea of what's your word and having that first um, moment to pause and reflect and set an intention is a great starting point. So you were, you were finding a way to bring home like a, uh, these retreats into people in a daily basis. I wanted to make uh, self-care and inner work more accessible and exciting. 
So that was the mission that I received uh, when I was at this retreat center in 2013, January of 13. Well, let's talk about that because I do think the power of a word is actually huge. Um, and it has many um, impactful manifestations. And so just like you said, instead of having to go to a gigantic retreat, you actually, so much can happen from a power of a word. Do you want to like talk about that a little bit? If we break down what I experienced at the retreat, it was a group of experienced teachers holding space for us and asking us questions. And oftentimes we would just go in a circle and say, what's one word that you're feeling? What's one word that you want to bring into your life? You know, it was this constant um, asking of questions. And I feel like that can also happen at the dinner table. That can happen in a one hour uh, session at a meditation studio. You right. know, it's nice to have seven days um, in a row, but it can also happen in bite-sized chunks. Also, it's interesting. Like sometimes I find like when I either meditate or I'm asking for, you know, to go a little deeper. So whether I'm asking like, hey, just show me what I need to be seen and whether it's a vision or an idea or a thought or a word, it takes one thing and you have the choice. I mean, not everyone has to do it. You could just be like, this is my word and walk on. Or you can actually look at why that word is what came to you. And you can really go pretty deep with that. You can do a lot of self-discovery and releasing and, uh, you know, going into some depth and growing from just that alone. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a breakthrough can happen in two minutes. It doesn't have to happen at a retreat. The, the challenge is we're so distracted, yep. so much coming at us that, you know, when I went to the retreat, upon entering, we surrendered our phones and laptops and books. And so we created a container free of distractions. And so I think that's one of the hardest things. And I think that's what's powerful about going into a session, you know, a meditation session where you leave the phones outside and you're fully present with yourself. Yeah, you right. really, it changes things. It's, I mean, it just changes things. It's hard, like how, how, how good are you at like leaving your phone for a little bit when you're on a, just a regular day? It's hard, I mean. Hard, it's, it's not easy, they're, they're addictive. They're very addictive. I was, you know, Nicole knows I was dealing with uh, a racist cousin on Facebook and a post that went from three comments two weeks ago, all of a sudden have like 250 comments. Oh. And, but it's funny, I found myself today because yesterday it was like, alert, 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 because it was just constant. Um, and it's like, it was exhausting, this like constant explanation and defense and everything. And, it, and to today, when it finally died down a little bit, I'm just so, like, in one day, I was like, well, like, you just get used to this, like, search, which normally I wasn't even looking there. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, what? Where is it? <laughs> so addicting so fast. It, How? We have to learn to manage it as, as people in the 2020s. It's so true. How do you feel like, you know, so you started this company, when did you start it? 2016 or 15? 2013 was you know, had this idea to bring inner work to um, people that didn't have it, didn't have access. And then, so now that's been quite a while. How do you feel like it, it, with everything that's going on right now, with so many changes, how tumultuous it can be with like systems crumbling left and right and with just rebuilding, how do you feel like this, like my intent is now serving its purpose and evolving into that? Um, I feel like it's like perfect timing. I feel like, uh, I've gotten the equivalent of a PhD in this field over the last seven years. And my intent has been my dissertation mm -hmm. going up to 
thousands of people and asking for their word and, and holding space for them. I feel like it's the equivalent of going through teacher training. And uh, what's beautiful about what's happening with COVID is it's removed a lot of distractions for people. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the sports games are off, the concerts are off, the, the live events are all off and it's giving people a moment to breathe actually, because we can't breathe. I mean, it's, it's ironic that, um, you know, the, the things that have happened with, you know, um, George Floyd and, you know, the whole black lives matter movement. But um, if you look at what's happened to us over the past 10 years, 20 years, um, we've had anxiety at record high levels. You know, we've had depression, sadness, um, anger, rage. Um, that's been with us. And I think it's partly caused by the modern society that we live in, which is, you know, we're away from our families. We're, um, you know, these technology devices that we're not really, we haven't been trained how to handle them. It's like giving a kid a hammer and then it's great that the hammer can build things, but the hammer can also be very destructive. Yeah. I've been given tools that are so powerful, but we haven't had the training. Like imagine putting someone in a cockpit of an airplane and saying, good luck. <laughs> what we've done um, to our society. And so I think mother nature has um, given us a timeout to, you know, pull away some of the distractions and just allow some of the unhealthiness to rise and give us a chance to address it. How do you feel like you're, like you said, it's a dissertation. It's been a dissertation for you. Talk about some of those because you're there a lot of times and you hear people's words talk about like, have there been any, impactful or surprising moments that really surprised you? I mean, it's a beautiful way to connect. Yeah. So I've actually um, started, right. Um, you know, COVID happened in April. I started doing these zoom sessions. I had, heard, I had already been a speaker leading workshops for companies and organizations. And I started doing them over zoom and I called it inner warrior training. And it was a two hour session. Um, the first half was designed to let go to release the fears that we hold on to, to release the things that aren't serving us. And um, I've had so many people say, oh my gosh, I had no idea I had, some, I had so much fear inside me. And I would do very simple exercises. Like I would just put them in a pseudo meditative state and just say like, write down everything that you're afraid of and just go and just give people five, 10 minutes to just write. And just by acknowledging the fear that's within inside us, I think it has helped a lot of people. I mean, I've had nurses, I've had folks come up after and say, oh my gosh, that was exactly what I needed. And it was the turning point of my COVID journey, just that one session. So that would be the first half. And then the second half is all around, what do you want to bring in? What do you want to create with um, the gifts and the time that you have and give people a sense of empowerment, a sense that you can do anything. And I'll use a song by Sia called uh, Angel by the Wings. And the lyrics are, you know, you can do anything. Like if you could do anything, what would you go do? And that two hour session, um, I've gotten a lot of feedback that that was what people needed to kind of take them um, into their fears and on the other side out into their purpose. And uh, I feel like there's a lot more receptivity to work like that right now because there is so much fear that people are absorbing from the media, from um, just everything that's happening. And it's an opportunity for us to take people to um, a bit of an awakening, a bit of a alignment with their purpose. And uh, I've been using Invisalign. Are you familiar with Invisalign? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I had this epiphany um, at the beginning of COVID where I feel like what COVID can is doing for many of us is it's like what Invisalign does. You know, that pressure mm -hmm. is aligning us to our purpose. You know, when you pop in a new tray, yeah. a squeeze. Yeah. And so you know, it's all about the story that we tell ourselves. And so a lot of us feel a lot of pressure these days. 
And we can either fight it or we can allow that pressure to help us find our alignment and our purpose, like why we're on this planet, you know? And talk about how intention combined with that could be a magical formula. Well, intention is, um, you know, I think of life as a series of intentions. And I, uh, I did a medicine journey uh, back in November. And I remember in the middle of the journey, um, remembering I only read one page out of um, A Course in Miracles. It mm-hmm. was and the first paragraph, it says, um, this is a required course. The only option you have is when you take it. And so in the middle of this medicine journey in Tulum, that popped in my head. And I started thinking about how all these intentions like compassion, forgiveness, um, presence, right, release, um, gratitude, they're the lessons that we were meant to learn on this planet. And we get a choice when we want to learn these lessons. And that's how I think of, you know, life is a series of intentions. And so these, that's the curriculum. And it's just a matter of, do you want to learn gratitude now or do you want to learn forgiveness? Which, you know, how do you want to sequence it? <laughs> if, we're, if we're awake, if we're tuned in, that's the real reason we're on this planet, right? And, and by putting food in our bodies and by that sustains us to do the work. Um, and so it, it, intentions is just a series of intentions leading us to um, what it is that we're meant to discover in this lifetime. So talk about what were you like as a kid? Like, does this surprise you where you are? And what you're doing? Um, I was very curious as a kid. Um, I was very lonely as a kid. Really? Yeah, I uh, didn't fit in. I, um, you know, I, I, between the ages of four and seven, my parents, um, they came to the U.S. and I was in Taiwan. So I think I felt a lot of abandonment, even though I was with my grandparents and they took great care of me. But I, I feel like in some of my self-exploration work, I realized how painful and traumatic that was. Um, and then at age seven, I came to Cincinnati, Ohio, where I totally didn't fit in. Right. It was mostly white, a few black kids, and I was like the one Asian kid in every class. And, you know, I didn't have many friends. For the first three years um, in Cincinnati, between ages of seven and 10, I couldn't really speak English. I didn't know any English when I arrived at seven. So by age 10, I finally learned English. But that was a very isolating experience for me. But I think it's out of that pain that I experienced that's led me to build a project to try to connect the world. So I always go back to the lyrics from um, the script. Uh, it's called Superheroes. And uh, the chorus goes, every day, every hour, let your pain be your power. Yep. And so I think the pain that I felt, I've chosen not to be a victim of it, but I've chosen to use it as a force to... Um, bring meaningful connections to the world because it's what I craved. And so and you, it's hunger that drives me. And you were, you said it took till 10 for you to actually speak the language. Did yeah. things shift for you then? Or at that point you kind of created your outsider yeah, <laughs> because you kind of created your own. Yeah, I was, um, it wasn't until I went to Beijing when I was, um, I ended up there for eighth and ninth grade. So like what, 13, 14, I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I started fitting in more, but then I went back to Ohio and, in Ohio, I just didn't really fit in. It's not like Los Angeles. Like in Los Angeles, I feel a lot more at home. Right. But in the Midwest, it's just, I was really different. And, and there were, I, I remember there were a couple of kids that really, um, a couple of Jewish kids that really embraced me and really made me feel wanted and accepted. But most of the kids just kind of ignored me. There were a couple of mean kids. There were a lot that kind of, I was invisible to them. And then there were a couple that like would invite me to their bar mitzvahs and invite me to their gatherings. Um, but that was the exception. And for the most part, I just, 
um, was on my own. But I did find refuge in uh, the Cincinnati Chinese Church. Hmm. And so I was a youth group leader. I was um, very active and had even considered at one point to be a youth pastor. Uh, but there was some stuff that I experienced there that I felt was um, a bit judgmental and it was all about following rules. Yeah. And over the last eight years, I've um, just come across just a realization that, you know, it's less about rules and more about tuning into like what I need in the moment. And so that's why the My Intent Project, you know, one of our most fundamental tenets is the answer lies within and it's less about the rules of the government, less about the rules of you know, the church or other organizations, but it's more about um, what we believe we need because ultimately um, we know what we need if, if we're really given the opportunity to, to go there. Do you feel like, so you already started to feel kind of the, how confining it can be to have rules, but then when you look at your life, I mean, look, you went to Harvard, you, you've done, you know, then you worked in a consulting agency, you did a lot of things very, you know, what parts of your life do you look at where you see that you were playing by the rules and it worked for you or didn't work for you and where you feel like then you didn't like talk about that path? Cause it is an interesting one. And I think we're so raised, you know, it's tricky as a parent. I've said this before where, especially an aware parent, you're like, wait, you want people, you want your kids to know that they can be whatever, there's no rules. But then you're like, no, yes, no. Do you know any, it's like, you're like, oh God, you see it from an early age you are giving them rules. You're just choosing the ones that you want them to live by. And then you, and hopefully you support them to go beyond as they get older. But so it's a hard thing for many people to disengage from because it's just inherent from the day you're, you're. I I think it takes, I think what you're saying is um, it just takes more time to help someone find the answer. It's a higher level of engagement because I think about my therapist all the time where every time I have a question, he's always like, I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, what do you think? Right, of course. And give me that half hour to figure it out where, yes, the shortcut would be he would tell me his point of view in two minutes, but he refuses to do that. But he'll do the work with me, which is the half hour. And that just takes a lot more work to sit down with a kid or with who, with an adult or whoever to like explore it with them. First, right. Don't have premarital sex. Don't do this. Don't, don't drink alcohol. Don't, you know, like we, we put all these rules in place as a shortcut, but they don't fit every circumstance. That's right. Um, and back to my own corporate journey, I um, am super grateful for that um, for a couple of reasons. One is I learned so many skills of, you know, in the consulting world, I learned problem solving. In marketing, I learned how to market, how to influence on a mass scale. Um, when I was at Facebook, I learned how to build um, something uh, to scale very quickly, you know. So I learned a lot um, that I'm able to apply when I'm building my intent. Because in the end, you know, when we started, we're building um, these were like washers. These are you know, washers on a string, but we've been able to use some of those skills to really reach a lot of people. We've um, put out millions of bracelets into the world over the past you know, seven years. Um, and then separately, I think what I viewed as the most difficult people in my life and the most difficult situations have been my best teachers, including my own family. You know, it's the resistance that I've had to them that have forged me as a leader and as um, knowing what I want. Because sometimes when I run across what I don't want, that's actually how I figure out what I do want. And so I think it's all the story that we tell ourselves is all the resistance in our lives could just be such a gift. It's like going to the gym and the weights are there to build our muscles. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have weights, we can never be strong. And, and I've had this profound moment three years ago 
um, where I was at another low in my life where I, I was on a plane and I, I looked out the window and I said, you know, it's really um, in our struggles that we find our truth and we find our purpose um, and, and we find our strength. What was your low a few years ago? Um, I was turning 40 and I was <laughs> single and uh, I was just like, wait, how did this happen? This is not what I imagined. I just thought I, I don't know. I just didn't think I would turn 40 single. And, and where are you at now? Um, I'm really happy. Um, I feel like, not to be cliche, but I've been looking for the one and I had to become the one. Absolutely. And so I feel like the last eight months, um, I've been doing a lot of plant medicine work and I've really been able to find the love that I've been craving in, within myself. And I feel like the world's just opened up in a way that um, I couldn't have imagined otherwise. Because I think there's a, there's a show on Netflix called Explained. Mm-hmm. They um, have an episode on monogamy. And they make the case there that we've been brainwashed into thinking because of all these romantic comedies, because of all these cartoons and whatnot, that you know, we're programmed from a young age to look for the one. That somehow finding the one, all of our bliss is unlocked. Mm-hmm. Not um, true. No, sometimes it actually gets worse because you have actually no clue about what makes you happy or doesn't make you happy. And then you're, it's, it's tough. There are so many, we talk about it a lot on here. There's so many, back to the idea of rules, so many weird rules when it comes to relationships or dating that never, I, I always said it just doesn't make sense. The only rule that should exist is whatever you create with that partner, as long as it's agreed upon and both people are comfortable with that, that should be literally the only rule. It's like everything else goes out the window. It's like whatever works for people or you, or that that's really, it. you know, it's the same thing. I tell friends all the time who are like, I might not want kids. I'm like, good for you. Like know it, own it. Don't let anyone change your mind except for you, unless you change your mind, that's different. But you know, there's all these weird pressures of how things are supposed to look like if you're 40, if you're single or not single, if you have kids or what your relationship looks like or how it's supposed to look. And it only creates so much heartache, which is hilarious because it should be the opposite. I had a profound moment um, yesterday with a team member who said she was dating someone and he told her that he had a fantasy about a threesome. And she's like, good for you. Um, I'm not interested, but you have my full permission to go have your fantasy because I love you. Just do it safely and don't tell me about it and don't do it in the house. And by giving him that permission, he comes back a few months later and he said, actually, um, I don't have a desire anymore, but thank you for right. giving that permission. And, and that is, I think, such a profound moment. It's like when we make things forbidden, they become like a fantasy, but then when we actually can have an open conversation, I think that's why um, our mission is to be a catalyst for meaningful conversations. And a lot of the most meaningful conversations are the hardest. Yes. But if we do the work, if we have those hard conversations, um, there's beautiful magic on the other side of those conversations. And but it's, it's a courage. Involved. Yeah. And it's so true. If you're asking people come up with a word you know, and whether that word is, you know, a reminder of something they want, whether it's a goal, um, it, it's going to be about a deeper part of them. It's not going to be the most surface part of them. So like right away, just that word itself is going to convey a lot more, um, which I love. I don't do well anymore at like 
you know, I came from the world of entertainment, so I used to be able to schmooze better than anyone. I could if you forced me to, but like, even by the end of my career there, I was like, oh, don't make me do it anymore. Now, like, I can't do it at all. I'm like, do not, I don't want to have any light conversation. I just don't, I'm too tired for it, weirdly. Like, I'd rather have a real conversation. And I'm sure, I'm curious with you then, if you're, are you date like do you find with when you're dating how is it for you are you do you go right in for like the deeper conversation or are you on or can you have the lighter stuff i'm pretty sure um yeah no we go right in i mean i've had i've had um you know spending one day with someone like i still think about like i try to make every moment count right you know i try to create some magic and i and i think it depends on who I'm with. And, and if I'm like, I, I um, was with someone who had just finished a three day pranic healing retreat. And the two days that we spent together was just pure bliss. And, and I think it's kind of, you know, the less baggage we have when we go meet the other person, the more blissful it can be. Yeah. I feel like oftentimes when I'm in a state that I haven't done the work, I haven't released crap. Then when I'm with the other person, my, I'm not even present. I'm dealing with my own insecurities and I, I'm in my head. And when I'm really dropped in with someone, if I've just come out of a therapy session and if she's just come out of some sessions, we're fully able to be present with each other. And, and I've had a similar experience too with um, teachers because I now am running, um, you know, my intent live. We're uh, providing a lot of free uh, you know, sessions online. And I've noticed most of the sessions are amazing, but every now and then I get a teacher that comes in and I find them rambling a bit. Mm -hmm. What I think is happening is they just had a lot going on and they really just needed some time to journal it out or just to talk it out so that they've done the processing. And then when they show up, um, whether it's to teach or whether it's on a date, that they're fully present and they don't have other stuff running in the background. It's like they took out the garbage. The house is clean. And so I think this idea applies whether you're on a date, whether you're teaching, whether you're, you know, with colleagues, um, with friends, family, et cetera. What helps you take out the garbage the best? Um, my therapist is amazing. Uh, <laughs> he's like so amazing. Um, a lot of the plant medicine work, um, deep medicine ceremonies with uh, psilocybin and ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Um, I have shamans that I work with that are incredible. Um, and then uh, just time alone like i use music a lot and i just go into kind of a meditative state um where i process and get grounded and um just just time alone like self-care time and also working out actually i feel like when i work out it gets a lot of the um the anger like a lot of the negative energy out and i do boxing and i'll take a 20 pound medicine ball and i'll slam it against the tree with a (laughs) bit of metallic on and that's my way of um releasing a lot of anger that i didn't even know i had but just to get the different energies to flow in my body. You talked a lot, a little bit earlier about like resistance to your family. Do you, what does that mean? Is that because of what happened to them leaving earlier? Or is there other stuff? Do you not? Um, I think, you know, with my, with my father, he had a very um, traumatic upbringing. Um, he was born on the side of a road uh, as my grandmother was fleeing China to Taiwan. Oh my God. In one of my medicine journeys, I actually felt like I was on the boat with them. And this was not a carnival cruise. This is a boat where the refugees were all all packed together and um, they were on the top deck. The deck didn't have even like a covering. They were just on the deck kind of huddled together and it was packed to the brim because you can imagine, you know, there wasn't 
um, accommodations. It was just yeah. a, a boat. And uh, in that journey, on one hand, I, I could feel her fear, my grandmother's fear. And it was the first time I actually connected with her really um, on a deep level. Um, and I could feel my dad's fear. Um, but I could also feel my grandmother's strength. And it was just such a powerful experience to know the power of the human spirit is that we can go through um, a lot, you know, that the human spirit has so many dimensions. We can be playful and we can be childlike and just, you know, animated and fun. And we can have like incredible resolve to get through the worst um, things imaginable. Was that the grandmother that you lived with or a different grandmother? That, that grandmother I didn't spend much time with. Um, that's on my father's side. The grandmother that raised me was on my mother's side. And so your dad's life started in a traumatic way. He has, he carries a lot of trauma. He, he carries a lot of um, fear and, um, you know, it manifests in different ways as you can imagine. And, and in many good ways too, like he's very financially conservative and so fiscally responsible. So that's something I did learn from him that, you know, but also um, there are quirks about him that can be challenging and uh, it's been a lesson of acceptance and just meeting him where he's at because he's had so much um, to overcome. Is, and your, is, what about your mom? She's, um, she's, uh, they've, they've all had challenges growing up, but she's handled it differently. And so she's, she's had her, um, she's had her journey as well. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've learned so much from both of them just in, in accepting them and seeing who they are and what, you know, they, it's, it's not been easy um, mm-hmm. with both of them, but it's been, um, th- I, I think about uh, Oprah had this share at her vision 2020 tour. Um, she, I don't know if she even planned it, but at the very end, she shared how uh, on her mother's deathbed, she didn't know what to say. And this is Oprah, mm-hmm. you know, the person who has something to say to everybody. And she had to call someone to say, what do you say to someone on their deathbed? And um, she ended up calling a friend who um, sang to her mother and, and it wasn't until like her mother's very last moments that she sort of forgave her mother and finally acknowledged that her mother was the perfect mother for her, even mm-hmm. though she had a lot of resentment and a lot of um, anger and just, you know, cause her mother, uh, she had shared in that moment that her mother and her father, um, her father liked her mother's poodle skirt. They were together one night and that was it. And she had a very difficult upbringing, but it was that difficult upbringing that made Oprah who she is. And so I, I think of my, especially my father, I think um, maybe he wasn't the perfect dad, but he was the perfect dad for me. Yeah. You know, to, to make me who I am. How much, because I find fear such an interesting thing and it does pass on. So how much have you had to deal with fear for yourself? <laughs> A lot. I mean, I, that was um, the last eight months of medicine work was learning to, to kind of go into a different realm and, and just release that fear and, and look at it in the eye. And I've gone to some pretty dark places in my medicine journeys. Um, but I think it's by like looking at it right in the eye that I'm like, Oh, it's just fear. It's an illusion. And I'm actually wearing a shirt that says, you know, um, it's all an illusion. Yep. And I think there's healthy fear, which keeps us safe. And it was designed for our survival. Um, but I think there's also a lot of fear that is meant for us to learn um, faith and courage and vulnerability and hope. You know, at the beginning of COVID, I told my team, I said, you can't learn faith in times that are certain. 
it's only in times of uncertainty do you really get to learn faith and to learn to trust and um, to find your strength. Because if everything is going so smoothly, like, you know, like a uh, calm sea has never made a great sailor. Right. And so all these intentions, I feel like really come into play when we're going through a global pandemic. You know, I think a lot of people are having awakenings and they're, they're praying for the first time. They're starting to meditate. They're starting to realize um, life on the hamster wheel isn't what we're meant to be. Um, so were you aware of your fear before or did you become aware how, of your fear because of the medicine journeys? I was more aware of my pain and my hurt. Um, and I think through healing, I became aware of the fears. And I just posted something um, I shared on my Instagram that uh, I was in a, a mini heartbreak last fall and I was in my dentist chair and he had the Netflix special, I Am Not Your Guru with Tony Robbins playing. Mm-hmm. It happened to be playing that segment um, where he talks about, uh, it was, the segment was called Heal the Boy and the Man Will Appear. And it really spoke to me because um, I was going through yet another breakup at 41. And I'm like, when is this going to end? Like, what, what is wrong with me? Why can I not seem to get it right with relationships? And so uh, I think a week later, I um, connected with a friend uh, who was in Tulum. And I just said, you know, I'm going to go to the jungle and I'm going to do some healing work. And I made a bracelet that said the word heal on it. And so I went to the jungle and I landed on a Friday and somehow I ended up in an ayahuasca journey on Saturday. <laughs> and for the next two and a half weeks, I just created my own healing retreat where every day I was working with a different healer, um, a couple of medicine journeys. And then the rest of the time I did like a sweat lodge, like a Temescal. And then I did energy sessions. I did um, Reiki. I did uh, yoga, you know, breath work, kind of the whole gamut, sound healings. Um, but I was committed because in Tulum, it's also easy to go the party route and just right. have a fun time. But I said, no, like I'm down here. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As I want to heal. And so it was with the intention of healing that I met my fears and um, came out on the other side, just much um, a different person. Do you talk to your parents about this stuff or no, this is. Some I've shared some of it. it, um, Yeah. In bits and pieces. Are you an only child? Uh, I have a younger brother who's seven and a half years younger. He's the CEO of my intent now. Um, and so I was raised like an only child to some extent because we're so far apart. Yeah. Did he have similar experiences or that's what I always find funny, like, or not funny, but interesting when there's a big difference. A lot of times there's sometimes different childhoods. Um, he had a very different childhood. 
Yeah. Because um, he grew up, he was born in Cincinnati and he knew the language from the get-go and he had his friends. He, um, yeah, he had a, a very different childhood. I think I had much more, I picked the bumpy path and he took a slightly more paved path up the mountain. Yeah, interesting. That's an, and it is, and I like that you said you, you picked because you do choose it. Yeah. Um, how, with everything going on now with like Black Lives Matter, how it's interesting because you have such a, I mean, not to compare, but it, an interesting point of view of feeling like, I, you know, you talk to a lot of, I mean, I talk to a lot of my black friends who at times were the only black person in a room or in a class or at school. And it is, it's a totally different experience. And you get that you said you were the only Asian kid and you're like around where you grew up, right? Yeah. How has this experience been for you? Have you been connecting with people? What do you feel like? Where do you feel like the the bracelet I have on is um, it says Black Hearts Matter, mm-hmm. and uh, I picked it for two reasons. One is Black Lives Matter wouldn't fit on the token, <laughs> and then um, specifically, I think with the whole you know call to action, um, I broke it down into external and internal. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done with our government, with policies, with um, inequalities, you know, and. I acknowledge that it needs to be done and I'm supportive, but that's not my expertise. But um, on the internal side, uh, I actually, um, so we have a My Intent Foundation. We just started a nonprofit. And one of our board members is Tanya Thomas. She's uh, the first coach that Tony Robbins ever hired. And she's a master certified coach. And she said that even um, that within the black community, there's a stigma around inner work. Mm-hmm. That in the black community, you just pray and you don't talk about you don't go to therapy. That's like white people stuff, you know? And so one of the things we hope to do is um, make this self-care in our work more accessible to the black community. So we're um, trying to form partnerships with those communities so that they can come in and get some of the resources that we have available. That's amazing. I mean, there is so much work to do everywhere and it is just a huge shift happening. So it's, I mean, how lovely that you get to be part of it that way. And again, it's all my intent. You, you keep getting all these great arms off of that original idea that just keeps serving. I mean, we're, we're, um, we're in Skid Row every Friday. Um, part of the foundation, we took $100,000 and we're uh, bringing plant-based food. And so we partner with Sage Organic. So like good food that we love you yeah. know, um, and bring it every Friday. And then soon we're going to be bringing breathwork down there. Love that. Doing breathwork and then having a meal together. That's great. Yeah. And so Skid Row, Compton, like I can imagine, you know, um, I think it's beautiful that, you know, the, the meditation, the yoga, like it all started sort of north of the 10, but I think yeah. a lot of um, need south of the 10 that we can address. That's amazing. I love that. You know, you started, it's interesting. So you, I, I know you said somewhere that you started this with the idea of wanting to provide community and positivity. Why did you feel like there was a need for community? Like, what were you feeling that... Oh, um, you know, when I was at the Hoffman, I felt so much community that I hadn't felt. And the, only, the, the real, di- and these were all strangers, but I think the difference is the level of conversation that we had, you know, it was much more meaningful, no small talk. And so there's, I think there's a lack of that depth that, um, you know, there's in our society, there's so much small talk and like just watching sports, mm-hmm. but there's no depth there you know, and, and all the commentators, all the commenting and, you know, oh, who are you wearing on the red carpet? You're wearing Versace. But like, how does that fulfill your soul? I mean, it's like, you're never even going to buy Versace for most of us. But, 
you know, like we spend all of our attention on things that don't matter. And so um, when I was at the Hoffman, 100% of the conversation was on things that mattered. They forbade us from talking about the weather, politics, what we did. So we were only allowed to share what we did at the very end at the closing ceremony. So for six and a half days, none of us knew what we did and it didn't matter. It was just, who are you as a being? You know, what do you stand for? What are you passionate about? It was that. And so that's the kind of community I think a lot of us are craving, but we don't even know we're craving because a lot of us haven't even had a taste of that. It's so true. I've talked about that in one of my classes before, how when I was in between, when I, you know, decided not to go back into the entertainment industry and I loved it. I was like, I need a break. I'm taking a break. And one of my favorite things to do was every time I went out or to a party, especially in LA and people would be like, what do you do? My response would be nothing. (laughs) And I would just say that knowing very well how uncomfortable that was going to make so many people because, you know, we're in Los Angeles. Everyone qualifies everything. It's like, if you're not doing anything, then you tell them the whole like resume you had before or where you felt you were important at one point or why you are important. I mean, everyone's always doing that. And I was just, huh? each other up. Yeah. And I was, I just, I was always like nothing. And, and I could, it was fascinating to watch people's responses because, and I, once I started noticing, I would continue to do it because I was like, nobody needs to know if I were successful, if I wasn't successful, nobody needs to know where I'm going, what ideas I have. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. So like if they can still have a conversation with me when they have no clue, um, then I want to have a conversation with them. Otherwise, and you could see people right away. Yeah. Some people right away were like, great, you know, and then made their way. And then other people would find another subject to talk about. And then we'd have a great. Wow. That's a good time. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, it reminds me of my ex-girlfriend, the one that um, really set me on this journey. You know, when we were talking about, as a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, a lot of us want to be like firefighters, astronauts, doctors, lawyers, engineers. Um, I remember she saying, I just want to be kind. I want to be like a good person. And I was like, whoa, I'd never, like growing up in an Asian family, like that was never part of the multiple choice answer. Right. No. It was engineer, lawyer, um, or Jewish family. Yeah. You know, like, like be kind was not on the menu of choices for me. Um, but that was really profound. How did her family react to that? Um, they were supportive. They, you know, they were, um, they, they kind of let her wander and find her own path. What does she do now? Um, she's focusing on motherhood. She has a, uh, two year old. Yeah. So she's raising, she's, um, a teacher, a babysitter, you know, mother, like oh, yeah. all the things that, yeah, it's a handful. It is a handful, no, but it is, it's, that's, it's so true. Having been raised in like a Jewish family or I should say at least Israeli, cause it's even more, same thing. It was like, well, you're a doctor or a lawyer. What else, like, what else is there? <laughs> like, what else is there? I remember at one point in, was it, it must've been college. Like when you're starting to actually figure out what you're going to do. And I remember being like, I need to find some books that have other, like just show you, tell you what other jobs are actually out there. Cause like, I just had no concept of what other choices there were. It was really interesting, which I think is sad. Um, but it is true how you can get so narrowed in. Well, I, I just think as, as a society, um, we just don't put much emphasis on who do you want to be. Mm-hmm being there's what you're like the question i think on a lot of people's mind is what you're going to do to earn a living which is a totally valid question like i think it's obviously really important um how will you earn an income is basically what they're asking right what do you want to be how do you want to earn income 
but I do think it's worth taking the time at a young age with, um, you know, elementary school, high school. It's like, who do you want to be as a human being? For sure. In the past, some of that was answered at the synagogues, temples, um, churches, et cetera. Um, but, you know, religious participation is also at an all-time low in this country. And so I, I see a lot of people um, who are starving spiritually. Yeah. I put this manifesto recently that um, had a line that says, you know, we're an obese nation um, starving spiritually for many of us. It's so true. I see that. I mean, I see that with just the meditation studio. People are craving a belief system. But what I think is important, which is what the den's all about, is figuring out what your own belief system is versus just subscribing to one that is given to you, mm-hmm. um, which is challenging. That takes doing the work, you know, and it takes being centered within yourself and getting to know yourself. Um, but I think ultimately that guides you the furthest and is the most loyal and, um, you know, reliable guide. Uh, so it is interesting. And I think that's part of what's happening now as well. I think it's part of a much bigger shift of the paradigm of what's changing. I think it's how you get your spiritual beliefs, how you get your information, how you choose um, what the quote unquote rules are. I think that's all part of what's shifting right now. It's but a, It's a big awakening that we're all having. It's a big awakening. Um, yeah, it's so true. It's interesting you said that too about kids because you know, I have a young, as you guys now know, because she's come in here a couple of times. Um, she, you know, we have a few friends that are very adamant about like the academics. I mean, they're four and a half of school. And I'm always like, I like their school. All the kids that come out of there are just good kids. Like, that's my thing. I'm like, those older kids are just so nice and they're kind and they're respectful and they're sweet. Like to me, that's like the most important thing because the rest falls into place. Like the money will come. You will be taken care of if you're taking care of yourself and you actually yeah. honor who you truly are. The rest will fall into place. Actually, is it interesting? Um, you just gave me an interesting idea. Is, you know, we have report cards for all, all the academic subjects, but we don't have a, a category for like quality of human beingness. Right. It, like, are they present? Are they anxious? Are their anxiety levels? Like, imagine if we measured that and we, we were able to pick schools based on, um, the, the mental health of the students there. Yeah, no, it's so true. And also, I mean, that's why it's like every once in a while you get those teachers who are great. They actually see the child, mm-hmm. you know, and they work with that. They work with, is the child nervous? Is the child, you know, introverted to the point it's like hindering them? Is the child not paying attention and not listening? Are they kind to their friends? Are they shares? Are they not shares? Like, I love that because, you know, then you can work with what, who the child truly is and like pull out their best, qualities and then help them work with the qualities that might hinder them and learn how to work with them. Cause I always say, like, I remember when I was like looking at the school and they would talk about stuff like that. I was like, Oh my God, they're going to save so many people, so much therapy from their thirties on, <laughs> which is everyone trying to be like, how do I deal with these parts of me that I think I don't like and not learning how to embrace them instead and work with them, which if we could all learn that from a young age versus like shoving these parts down, we would be just much healthier humans. I think memorizing facts is really not, um, needed because there's Google and there's YouTube Khan Academy. Like that part could totally be done um, asynchronously online, but it's what you're saying. It's like the personal coaching. It's the teacher acting almost like a development officer of, of, of an emotional intelligence. And that's not going to be replaced anytime soon. But that's where I go back to my intent and the word, the power of the word. It's the beginning of self inquiry. And I think more than anything, excuse me, I think self inquiry is, 
huge. I, I, just, I always say it's not the only thing. Like you can't just then get into an analyzing bubble where you're just like spinning your head. I mean, that's not great either. But if you can start asking yourself the questions and start being open to the answers, whatever they may be without judgment, you will be really surprised how far you can actually start uncovering stuff about yourself. And that's without anything. Like you don't have to go to the retreat for that. Like you, the breath work will help you remove the energy that's behind it for sure. But you can still get to a, a lot of places with just that alone and it's free. I think also um, self-inquiry, if you're in that mindset happens throughout the day. Absolutely. Interact with other people and I get triggered. I'm like, why did I get triggered? What was behind that? Like, I actually think um, part of it is myself, but there's massive richness in um, being in an inquiry mode, but interacting with other people. Well, like anything, like once you train yourself to like kind of have that vision of self-inquiry, it's true. It's every moment, you know, and that's why I tell people, it's not that you don't all of a sudden become this perfect person. You just start to see it clearly. So you start to know when you're like acting in some of your lowest moments, they still happen, but you're just really aware of it and you can a learn from it and then probably switch out of it a lot faster because you understand it. Um, You start to see how you're reacting to other people quicker because you're just aware and you start to understand like, why is this bothering me? Again, it doesn't mean things don't bother you anymore. It's just, you start to be able to ask yourself the questions of, wait, that's actually bothering me. Why? Let me find out. Let me like go down there. So that's why I love what you do so much because I feel like it's giving people, whether they realize it or not, so much power of, of, I should just say empowerment and leave it at that because what I was going to say is power of change and shifting, but you don't always have to change, but it is empowering yourself to go deep and like get to the truth underneath it all. Yeah. I think that's what all of us want. I mean, ultimately like, it's what gives us fulfillment and purpose and, you know, everything that all the words that people typically want, it all starts with um, the self-inquiry and doing the work. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy. I mean, it is amazing like what you do and it's amazing. What I love about it is how huge it is with such a, but yet in a very humble way, you know, it's like you, it's, it's huge what you were doing, but you've always kept, you know, the good about it alive. Do you find it's hard sometimes when you're trying to keep that vision? Look, having a business regardless, sometimes that balance gets out of whack. Do you find yourself struggling sometimes of like keeping that, you know, main focus on like, even if it's a great focus, like I'm doing good, I'm trying to help. But then do you realize like how much are you maybe off track for yourself at times or? Absolutely. Um, I had a freak out moment like two weeks ago as we were launching um, because we're launching a school. It's like a coaching school. Um, And uh, I was like, what did I get myself into? And, you know, I had these grand visions of we'd serve this many people and all, you know, all the, and I started having to unpack that and said, how much of that is from ego and how much of that is really wanting to help people. And I think um, most of the stress comes from ego and wanting to achieve and prove something. And then if I just stay focused on having the impact and really helping people, then um, it tends to guide itself. It kind of just, it kind of work, it, you know, just let, let it just allow it to happen. Um, I, I know for a fact the last seven years, a magazine like that, the Today Show clip, like those were all just serendipitous um, things that happened and it, it couldn't have been planned. Um, just, you know, people, people just joined up when, when the time was right. 
But I, I love that idea of, you know, that when the stress is really there, that's more off of the ego and when you can kind of refocus. I think that's great. I think so many of well, us can. And, and, and working with one of my um, shamans, he says, you know, our, our job on this planet is to be happy and to, to, live, to be in joy. And so prioritize that. So I, I had to, because I was working so hard and I was stressed cause trying to get a result. And I was like, well, um, I think I need to focus on the being. So being joyful, being happy, being healthy. And the result will come about from that versus kind of, I think of it as being at the gym and we can lift weights from um, an unhealthy posture. You know, like when you, I don't know if you've done weightlifting, but you can lift weights where you can throw out your back Mm -hmm. versus you lift weights from your legs and you really like lift in a healthy way. And so I think that's similarly, um, if we focus on our state of being first, if we're being joyful, if we're being the change that we want to see in the world, then everything flows much easier from that and much healthier versus oftentimes I find myself even still like I'm a doer and I'm focused on getting things done. And, and then I get into a state of panic and a state of stress. And then the people around me are stressed too. And then, and I'm like, well, what is this all for? We're trying to bring more joy and presence to the world when we ourselves are not that we've completely failed. So right. it's just a constant reminder that, you know, luckily I have teachers in my life that um, I work with that just kind of bring me back to center and back to just, you know, being the change. How often are you like, like you, cause you do do a lot. So like, do you feel like most of your week you're also like you're working and then the other half you're working kind of with your teachers or is it more sporadic? Um, I make sure I do work with my teachers, like, especially on the weekends. Yeah. Um, I do my training and I feel like, you know, I can only take people as deep as I've gone. And so I have to go a lot deeper so that I can bring people along for the ride. Um, so like last Saturday, I, um, you know, Harry Paul, so I work with him. Um, he's a breathwork teacher, um, a healer, and we did like a two-hour session, and he just wow. did energy work and coaching. And um, so I almost, I, yeah, I, I have either a therapy session or a breathwork session or coaching session um, at least once a week, if not multiple times a week. I love that. You're showing up for yourself. If, yeah, if I'm not doing it, then I can't be good for the team. Right. How big is your team now? Um. 20 some, um, that are full time. Um, and then we have uh, a fulfillment team. That's probably like another 20 people. And then, um, we have, uh, I don't know, 50,000 makers that have, um, the, the that's so crazy. They're like an extended part of the team that, um, you know, they're, they're the real, they're the people out in the field. And then we have about 50 teachers that are teaching on our platform. And, uh, that's also part of our team. So it's a, it's a thing a very big team. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. you could, before we get to your four U's, if you have like, an, do you have an Achilles heel that always you feel like you have to keep working on? I don't know if it's one Achilles heel, but um, there's always something to be worked on for sure. But yeah. it goes away. Like it evolves. I mean, if I think about, um, you know, I still have my stresses about, um, you know, really uh, right now, like my biggest struggle is um, creativity is how do we create content that um, elevates people? That's just not just generic, boring content, but really like engages people in a meaningful way. And so that's um, my challenge of how do, how do I build a team and, and empower them to create the kind of content that I'm envisioning? So that's kind of, as you think about like Achilles, you like a struggle that I have. That's something that I'm working on with the team right now. Amazing. Here, let's do your four years, which are four quick answers and questions. Um, what do you do when you first wake up? 
I mean, sadly, uh, I probably um, look at the time and look at the, you know, the phone, the messages, <laughs> guilty. You're not alone. You are not, everyone else is like, me too. <laughs> no. um, if you have, is there a book that is like your go-to book for inspiration? Um, the Seven Habits probably had the most profound impact on me over time, but I have, I have a library downstairs that um, I think will rival any, anyone's self-development you know, library. And so I also have this idea that a lot of times I don't have to read the book, but the title itself is so powerful. So one example is Gabby Bernstein's um, The Universe Has Your Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, just like seeing it on my shelf. Like, I think that message alone is already, I don't, like, I'll, like, but um, I think a lot of book titles are really powerful. Like the one, like the books here, it's um, Start With Why. Like that's mm-hmm. um, Limitless with Jim Quick. Um, I mean, I just, there's, you know, Peter Diamantis's future is faster than you think. It's so funny that you said start with why. I taught a whole class based on my, I, my, there's a book I read to my child called Why. It's like a kid's book. It's hilarious. And it's basically one of the characters asking the other question, why? And he just keeps unraveling. And it's a hilarious book. And it's a kid's book, but I find it so profound. And I read it to my class. So I was like, I'm going to read this to you because, and we did a whole thing about, it, it just starts with why. And it goes, again, it goes back to your, what you do. Pick that as his word. And he said, um, that's what I've dedicated my whole life to is understanding why people do what they do. I love that. Yeah. Um, what is there? I mean, you have so many teachers. If, is there one teacher you can point to for you that has been your most inspirational teacher? I mean, wow. Um, I know you have a lot. I don't know, Tony Robbins has been a big you know, deal. Um, oh, you on our platform or just in my life? No, in your life for you personally. Um, yeah, Tony's amazing. Um, I think about my personal teacher, this guy, Matt Brannigan, he was at the Hoffman process. Um, it wasn't necessarily, well, uh, yeah, I guess he's interesting because he's um, a Marine or he was in the military and he, now he's in the National Guard. Or I guess that means he was in the Army. Or um, So on one hand, he's in the military, but on the other hand, he's um, a Hoffman teacher. Right, I love that. I think people, they, they're thrown for a loop. Cause it's like, how can you both be a warrior with a gun and a helmet and everything, but also hold space for people to do such deep inner work. And he was my um, teacher when I went through the process in 2013. And now he's the head of faculty for the Hoffman process. And he's also a board member of the Mindset Foundation. Hmm. So he's amazing. Um, Tanya Thomas, another one of our board members. She was the first coach for Tony. She's um, really emphasizing like the power of questions you know, and, and a lot around, you know, the quality of our lives depends on the quality of our questions. And as we ask better questions, um, the quality of our life, uh, lives will improve. It's so true. Is there one thing that you are currently obsessed with that you can't live without? One thing. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm, I'm like super into medicine work right now, like plant medicines. Um, that's the thing that I'm most fascinated by because of the transformational power that I've seen. So I, I've been doing a lot of research um, in that area. Do you, are you doing it here? Like in this, like, are you doing it regularly here in the States? Um, I'm doing it like it, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> Everywhere and anywhere. It, it, um, I'm just fascinated by the power and I'm really um, hoping to make it more uh, available to more people. Like decriminalize it. Like that's a big thing that MAPS is doing. I don't know if you yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's starting to happen. Yeah. Like Santa, I mean, I don't think it was a coincidence that um, one of the most powerful images at the beginning of BLM was um, a photo of the police chief of Santa Cruz kneeling with protesters. 
I don't know if you remember that, but that was one of the first photos that came out of a police officer dealing with protesters. And Santa Cruz is the third city to decriminalize um, plant medicines. You know, so in Oakland, Denver, those were the first two cities that decriminalized it. And then Santa Cruz is the third third one. So it'd be cool if Los Angeles was the fourth. It'd be amazing. Um, I love talking to you. I can't wait for your personal practice. He is going to do a personal practice for us, which is going to be incredible. Um, using the power of the word, right? Yeah. Um, and thank you for always being so kind and taking the time because I know how crazy busy you are right now. I've been and looking at this. this is- I know, me too. I, me too. And it's been a while and it's been, it's been amazing to watch you just shift and grow. I mean, you were already doing incredible when I met you, but I just, I, I'm really, it's always nice to see good people do good things. Thank you. Thank you for all your support all, over all these years. Always, always, always. We still have, I still love, I still have my card my little card case from you guys with all like the words and yeah. questions. Yeah. I just dropped off a couple boxes. You did? Oh, good. Right before COVID, I think. So they're, oh, they're there. <laughs> they're for sure there then. We'll have to like get them. I love that. You're the best. Everybody stay tuned for his personal practice. And thank you, Chris. Thank you. Chris is now going to do his personal practice, which is finding your word. Hello. So if you want to make yourself comfortable, if you're driving, um, it's okay. Just uh, stay present to the road. But uh, if you can, find somewhere comfortable and just start connecting to your breath. Take a deep breath in. Hold and release. Take another deep breath in, hold and release. And one last deep breath in, hold and release with a big smile. So I wanna ask you three questions to help you find a word of intention. And this word is gonna guide you for the coming weeks, the coming months. And so the first question I wanna ask you is, you know, first bring someone in mind that you really admire and notice what do you admire about this person? So the question is, you know, what is a virtue or a quality that you want more of in your life? You know, is it more humility? Is it more patience? Is it more kindness? You know, what is a virtue you want more of in your life? Take a deep breath in and let it out. So 
So for the second question, I want you to bring to mind the biggest challenge in your life right now. So just picture that challenge in your mind. Yeah, that one. What is it going to take to overcome that challenge? You know, is it just to learn to surrender, to accept it, just to be present, to let go, to trust, to have faith? You know, think about that challenge. What is it going to take to overcome that challenge? breath in and let that challenge go all right so now for the last question what makes you feel alive you know what makes you jump out of bed in the morning and you know can't wait to start the day what do you want to spend more time doing what are you passionate about you know is it just a reminder to dance more to sing more to play to practice gratitude you know, what, what do you want to spend more time doing for yourself to make this journey all worthwhile?
So one last deep breath in and release. So you probably have a few words in your mind right now. So I want to invite you to pick the one that is going to make the biggest difference in your life. So out of all the words, what's the one that you need the most reminder of that if you had as a post-it note, if you had as a bracelet on your wrist, or if you made it your screensaver on your phone, that word is going to make a huge difference in the coming days, weeks, months to you, for you to be the best version of you. So it's time. It's time to begin. Ten Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Ten Talks podcast, and join us there. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.